my first memories I have are running home from kindergarten. When it ended, I would just run home. It's about a mile. And I remember running through the park, you know, saying hi to people, waving to people as I was running. It was just my way to explore the world. Welcome to The Common Threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of the people behind some of the world's leading companies, movements, and ideas. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app, or check us out at commonthreadsmedia.com. I'm your host, David Swain. So we're here with Dean Carnassus in your home, the backdrop of the beautiful Mount Tam. We can actually see it now that the fires have passed. And for people who haven't read your books or heard your story, there's a lot of statistics and numbers and just amazing accomplishments. 350 miles and 80 hours, 253 miles in Greece on figs and water, <laughs> um, 50 marathons in 50 that, yeah. days, just so many. Winning Badwater, definitely known as the hardest race, hardest World race. Yeah, call, yeah, 130 miles right through the desert. 135, yeah. But for me, looking at not just those things, but what you've done to kind of elevate endurance sports more broadly, not even just running, but giving people inspiration to seeing what's possible and also doing it in a way that's not always just about the competition, but more about being out there and just doing it. So, I mean, that's an inspiration for me. You know, I've, I haven't ridden my bike as far as you've, <laughs> as far as you've run, like seeing what you've done is like, is an inspiration to think anyone that you can get up and get out and do something. It doesn't have to be as amazing as some of the bigger things you've done. So it's great to be here. And I like to start with what you had for breakfast this morning, <laughs> then we'll get into the fun stuff. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you asked that question because um, I have an easy answer. I don't eat breakfast. Oh. So I've been kind of following this intermittent fasting program yeah. or time-delayed fasting, and I typically don't eat breakfast. So I, I fast from dinner, uh, usually until late lunch, sometimes all the way till dinner the next day, so almost a 24-hour fast. Wow, I was not expecting that. So how long have you been doing that? Uh, about 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And I don't usually, I don't eat breakfast before I race even. People say, you know, what do you have? Yeah, a pre-race meal that was on my list of questions. Yeah. So uh, I I run in kind of a fat adapted state, you know, ketosis basically. And uh, I don't know. I feel a lot better doing that, honestly. I do drink coffee though. People say, do you drink coffee? I do. And interestingly enough, I add fresh rosemary to my coffee. So I go pick it from the garden and put it in my coffee. Okay. I'm, I, I I'm brew pro- it in my coffee. So I put it with the beans, the ground beans. Is your exercise typically in the mornings? Like, are you doing it without, like, in that state, or are you eating lunch and then exercising? Um, all of the above. All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you know, I'm like, not like. I guess when you're packing in that many miles, you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I pretty much, from the moment I get up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm exercising. In fact, what you've got me doing now is something I'd never do, and that's sitting down. (laughs) So I'm pretty much moving from the get-go. And yeah, I can go for, you know, 20, 30-mile runs in a fasting state with just water, literally with just water, and not even a lot of water, and do just fine. 
I know it's uh, counterintuitive. Yeah, no. I, mean, I tell this to people, and they're like, "Oh, that really? You must be emaciated. You know, you must have be anemic. This and that." And I'm like, mm, "I'm pretty healthy." For people who haven't read the book Ultra Marathon Man, where that's how I was introed to you, you actually came to speak at Facebook when I was. <laughs> uh, it was probably in, in 2008. It was right when I started. Was, I remember you were one of the first speakers I saw. Well, I'll was, tell you a funny story about that. <laughs> Here's my business acumen. So um, a- after that that talk I gave at Facebook, you know, uh, a couple of your colleagues were walking me to the car, and you know they were just really fired up. They loved the story, this and that. And they're like, "Oh, we got to build you a Facebook page. We got to yeah. we got to get you on Facebook." And I was using MySpace back then, but barely using it. And they said, "You know, also we we can make you an investor. Like we'd like to get you some shares and stuff. Uh, do you want to be an investor?" And I'm like, "Yeah, guys, I'll get back to you on this. And this sounds great." And, <laughs> And I got in my car, I'm like, that is the dumbest idea. Like, that company is going so bankrupt. Like, who would ever want to share their personal profile online with other people? Like, that, no one's going to do that. And <laughs> shows you what I know. Yeah, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> people always say, what would you, you know, what would you change if you, when you were a younger man? I said, I would have invested in Facebook yeah. in 2008. Yeah. That would have been good. You know, one of the things I remember from reading Ultra Marathon Man was the story of how, you were, I think on your 12th birthday, you decided to ride from your house to your, is it your grandparents', grandparents house? Grandparents, yeah. And 50 you, miles away. 50, yeah, 50 through, miles. Through LA, right through LA. No maps yeah. back then. It's <laughs> no. not like you opened Google Maps on your phone, like I'm going to ride to grandma's house. Yeah. And you just did it. And it was interesting how there was something in your DNA then. Well, that gave you the confidence to do that which is interesting. Not many kids would, I don't know if they would feel independent enough to go do that. I don't know. Talk about your story finding yeah. running and like, you know, it took a 10 year break, right? Or yeah. a 15 year break. And then your 30th birthday, it all kind of came yeah. to hit. Well, you know, I'll start um, with my earliest childhood memory and that literally my first memories I have are running home from kindergarten. I used to love running home. I just remember wait, you know, I, was sitting in class just so anxious for the bell to go off because I hated sitting down and being in class. And when it ended, I would just run home. It's about a mile. And I remember running through the park, you know, saying hi to people, waving to people as I was running. It was just my way to explore the world. And I grew up loving to run, loving to run outside. And it was more than just running. I, you know, got into cross country and started racing. But it was me, running was like the ultimate freedom. It was like made me feel completely human, you know, to be out in the elements, kind of like we were designed and evolved to be. And that passion for running just carried with me, as well as, you know, as you can probably tell, there were not a lot of parental restraints on me when I was growing up. I mean, it was a different era back then. You know, I was living in Southern California. And just the fact my mom would let me run home, you know, a mile when I was five years old. I mean, what parent would allow their kid to do that now? And those same sort of parental restraints just were never there. My parents just let me do whatever I wanted to do for better and for worse. And that was how that uh, 50 mile ride came about on my 12th birthday. I just decided, I love my grandma, my grandpa. They always spoil the hell out of me. So I'm going to ride 50 miles to their house. I ran competitively in high school and then stopped running when I was uh, a freshman in high school after a cross country season and didn't run at all until the night of my 30th birthday. And then I was in a, in a bar in San Francisco, in the Mission District, I mean, right. the Marina District, actually, of San Francisco, you know, drinking with my buddies. 
And at midnight, I told them I'm leaving. And they're like, hold it. Why are you leaving? You're, uh, the it's night is young. Let's shots. have another right. round of tequila. And I said, nah, nah. Instead of, you know, having more tequila, I'm going to celebrate my 30th birth by running 30 miles. And then they looked at me like, you're not a runner. You're drunk. And I said, yeah, I am drunk, but I'm still going to do it. And I walked out of the bar and I knew uh, Half Moon Bay was 30 miles away. And I just started running south, literally. And I didn't even own running gear at the time. So thankfully I had like these comfortable silk boxer shorts on. So I pulled my <laughs> pants off. And ran in and your ran boxers. In my I didn't even, and yeah. I didn't own running. They were like Reebok gardening shoes I was running in. And just took off for Half Moon Bay. And um, about 10 miles in, I started sobering up, you know, down by Daly City. And I'm yeah. like, what the hell am I doing? This is, this is absurd. You're drunk. Uh, but it's something just felt right, like. For the first time in a long time, I kind of felt just fully engaged. I, you know, it's the backstory I never told you about is after, you know, I went through college, I went through grad school, and then I went through business school, and I was working in San Francisco. So I had a very comfortable corporate job with a company called GlaxoSmithKline, which is a big, right. you know, pharma company. You know, I had a company car, I had stock options, you know, 401k matching, healthcare, all those things that I thought would make me happy. And I was miserable. Like I hated being a business guy. It just wasn't who I was as a human. And I think that just came to a head on my 30th birthday where I just kind of ran away from it all. And I decided that night I was going to be a runner. <laughs> that was going to quit my job. That's the amazing part. And yeah. then you just went in the next day and the start of the next chapter of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's lasted this, uh, you're still in it. 25 years later. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about that transition into becoming a runner and what that took? And, you know, we, we all, at least in the U.S., you grow up watching football and soccer and basketball and baseball and sports that are funded by big commercials on TV. And you walked into this sport running where making it as a professional athlete and running, if you're not one of the top few in the Olympics, it's especially in those days, what did that look like? for you how did yeah. how did you piece that together well i started doing these you know these races and i remember running a race called the western states 100 mile endurance run which is a 100 mile continuous foot race through the sierra nevada it starts at squaw valley and finishes in auburn just outside of sacramento and you know i finished that race and you know i was in the top 20 kind of thing it was my first 100 mile race and i went to the award ceremony and, you know, I'm thinking, what's the guy who won going to get? You know, we all got belt buckles, uh, these really nice, they're fancy belt buckles for finishing yeah. the race. You know, everyone, anyone who finished, which was not a lot of people, but they all got a belt buckle. And I thought, you know, when, when they start handing out the prize money, that kind of thing. And the guy who came in first place got a belt buckle. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that, that's kind of cool, actually, because it's very democratic. You know, we all fin cross the same finish line. But then I thought, hmm, if you're going to sustain yourself in this field, you know, all the belt buckles <laughs> you yeah. can accumulate are not going to keep the lights on. So you're going to have to figure out a way to make a living doing it. And, you know, that took some kind of scanning, it, just some basic business skills to figure out how I was going to piece it together. And what did you start with? Was it more on the sponsorship side or I guess for people who are following your path now out there, let's talk about some of the ingredients that you started the piece together and kind of how you've navigated that really over the last couple decades. Yeah. And, you know, bear in mind when I tell you what I, how I kind of chose my path, it's going to be different these days, Good you know, but I, I did. I, um, I started working with a company called The North Face and I said to them, you know, guys, people are running on trails more 
And I think there's gonna, that's going to be a huge trend is that runners are going to want to get off the road. I go to these road marathons. They're kind of miserable. I go to these trail marathons and people are very happy and it's, it's a totally different feel. And this trend is going to build over time. I feel very, very strongly about that. And they said, mm, we're still going to make, you know, big bulky backpacks and, you know, Vibram sold shoes, you know, hiking boots. And I said, no, let's go, um, you know, faster and lighter. That's the trend, faster and lighter. And so we came up with this clothing and gear concept called Flight, Fast and Light, which was about moving down the trail as people were doing, you know, back then hiking, but instead running. And it started to build. And I said, you know, the other thing is that the North Face has a right to be on the trails running. You know, Nike, New Balance, you know, Asics. These guys are all on the track. I mean, they're track companies. They're gym track companies. The North Face, the heritage is from the outdoors. So we can play in this space. And it took about 10 years of me right. <laughs> continually beating this drum before the North Face said, hmm, maybe Let's you're onto do- something. Yeah. And uh, so that's been a very good partnership. You know, I also thought, you know, how else can you make a living with what you've got? You know, I kind of said, you know, what are, what are your assets you can bring to either a company or to a corporation? So I started doing corporate keynotes because I had a business background. So I thought right. I can talk a lot about, you know, the, the lessons from uh, athletics that translate to business. But the other thing I talk about, which is just as applicable as the lessons from business that translate to running so, you know, as far as marketing yourself, you know, looking at a, you know, standard SWOT analysis, you know, your strengths, your, your weaknesses and your opportunities and your threats, you know, those kind of things really played into how I pieced together making a living, you know, in the sport I love. Now, today there is prize money, a little bit of prize money. So, you know, you can focus more on being a really competitive athlete. But then again, I don't think there's enough prize money to sustain you, you know, living out anywhere but inside your car kind of thing. So the gig economy, as we all know, is growing every day. And the opportunities within endurance sports for gigging is growing as well. So you can look to companies for projects, either, you know, event production projects or, you know, help with trade shows, those kind of things. And you can work in the endurance sports industry while still being able to train. That's interesting. And also, I mean, so you, you, you've written four Books. Four books. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, people are still doing, that's still a course that you could go down as an athlete. But I think now there's this interesting mix too of like, you could be doing podcasts, podcasts like yeah. this. You could be starting a YouTube channel. You could be an Instagram celebrity or yeah, some yeah, combination online, of online all of coaching. them. coaching. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You influencer, you could, yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How has that sometimes having so many options like that makes things even more difficult. You really do have to do that SWOT analysis of yourself. How is that when you look at kind of your peer group or people coming up in the industry, have you seen people dial in those, like what's working, I guess, of all of that? Or is it still too early to tell? No, I think um, there's a lot of different directions you could go. I discussed some of them, but I think it all starts by um, looking inward. So, I always tell people to take out a piece of paper, just take out your computer and script your perfect life. And what I mean by script, just, you know, stream of consciousness, describe what your perfect life would look like. I mean, if you could just do whatever you wanted every day you woke up, what would that look like? And then, you know, you kind of have this ideal that you're going for. And, you know, you think at first would be my perfect life, you know, laying on the beach in Tahiti, 
And I'm like, really think it through. Is that going to bring you satisfaction laying on the beach, you know, having Mai Tais in Tahiti every day? And a lot of people say, oh, you're right. You know, there's no fulfillment, no meaning in that. So, you know, I said, get real. And that, once you have that kind of um, blueprint, you can determine where you want to go. Do you like being, are you a people person? Do you want to be in event management? Do you like retail? You know, there's all kinds of retail opportunities within endurance sports. Do you like coaching, you know, training, those kind of things. So, a lot of different directions you could go. Getting a little bit into the running side, how like, when you're out for however many hours you're out for at a time, how much of this, what role has that played in helping you figure this stuff out about yourself? Well, you know, by nature, I'm an introvert, so yeah. I'm very comfortable by myself. And honestly, I connect with nature. Like I'm more comfortable being out in nature by myself than I am in being in a trade show, for instance. Like I get feel really cooped up and kind of crazy and uh, anxiety ridden when I'm around a lot of people. So I, I need that kind of time just to go decompress, kind of work things out. You know, if it's a shorter run, I, that's what I do. I just decompress, kind of put the world back in mm-hmm. perspective, you know, think through problems. Uh, when you run, you have a lot of time to think. And in this day and age, we're so bombarded with noise. I don't think many people have time to reflect and really process. It's just constant, you know, Twitter feeds coming at you, the news blaring at you. We're just overwhelmed with that sort of stimulus. And running to me is a way just to get away from it all and have time to think for yourself. Um, you know, the other thing is I do spend an inordinate amount of time training and I love to read. And how do you stay current on your reading? I probably have uh, 500 audiobooks on my playlist. So I love podcasts. I was just going to ask you I, that. I, I when, like you're podcast, running, yeah. when you're running, are there things in your ear or not as yeah. part of that decompression? I think on the long, you know, the eight the or long. 10 hour runs, it's a hybrid of both, you know, sometimes. Yeah. But I really enjoy books and I probably listen to a few books a month. That's really cool. Any favorites or, you know, what, are the, what type of books are you listening to? Uh, you know, I love business titles. Yeah, uh, I listen to a lot of business titles, but then kind of adventure stories. I don't listen to much fiction. So, you know, things like um, the classics Into Thin Air, The Endurance about Shackleton's voyage to the, the South Pole, uh, adventure stories like that, you know, The Worst Journey in the World. Those are really great to listen to. So getting on books like the, the Road to Sparta, which you wrote in 2016. Yep. Talk about that story for you and kind of your heritage and going there and doing it for people who haven't read the book. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, a, it was a pretty epic story because I, I'm 100% Greek and I wanted to learn the truth about the marathon. Like, what are the origins of the marathon? You know, what are the myths about the marathon? And really tell the story in a kind of a historical way. So I, I was put in touch with one of the foremost authorities on um, ancient Greek culture, Professor Paul Cartledge from Cambridge. So I worked with a historian in kind of recreating the original Greek marathon and telling that story and then going and doing it myself using just the foods that the ancient Greek runners used, like figs and olives and uh, the stuff they called pastilli, which is ground sesame seed and honey, yeah, like a power mix, you know, like a gel. And I ran this course doing that. Except it wasn't 26.2 miles, right? <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's the common misperception of the history of the... <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be a spoiler with the book, yeah. but um, he ran for the Fidipides or Fidipides, who was yeah. the, the runner. And his name literally translates into um, spare the horse. 
because this guy could outrun a horse. Like, why why would you kill a horse when you got this guy who can run the you know the, these hundreds of miles? But he ran further than just from the battlefield of Marathon to Athens, which is twenty six point two. He first ran to Sparta to recruit the Spartans into battle, and this is when the Persians invaded Greece at the Bay of Marathon. And you know, if you've seen the movie Three Hundred, like you know, who's the most badass fighting force in ancient Greece? And, you know, this is Sparta. So he ran uh, 153 miles to Sparta to recruit the Spartans into battle. And the Spartans said, okay, we're coming. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll reinforce you. But we can't leave for six days because the moon's not full. And our religion prevents us from leaving for battle until the moon is full. So Phidipides is like, oh, geez, all my comrades are in, you know, at Marathon, my Athenian comrades, waiting for the Spartans. I got to tell them the Spartans are going to be a little late. <laughs> so he turned back and ran the other 153 miles to get back and then ran the final marathon. So it was a much more robust story than just 26.2. And, you know, it's also a story about finding out who I was. So, you know, yeah. like using tools like DNA analysis, like 23andMe and meeting <laughs> family members, interviewing them, tracing my family tree as far back as I could go. I mean, my dad always insists we're from the same uh, village in the hills of Greece as Phidipides. You know, I always tell him, Dad, we grew up in L.A. I mean, what what village in the hills of Greece chasing goats are we from, Dad? I'm second generation American, yeah. How did the process of writing the book change your perspective on yourself or where you came from or your roots? Oh, it gave me a much deeper appreciation of being Greek. To me, you'd have to read the book to really get into, you know, the experience of being Greek American. But I was raised very Greek when I was a kid. You know, went to Greek school. And have you seen my big fat Greek wedding? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Greek, the Greeks are like yeah. that. So they're really like that. And when I got to be a teenager, I thought these people are weird. Like I am not Greek. Like I, I need to move away from these people. And so I kind of rebelled against my Greekness and suppressed that until I turned a later stage of life. Let's say. And now I really embrace being Greek. It's a beautiful culture and a very rich culture. Mm. And, you know, obviously, you know, the shape of a of the Western world is largely the way it is because of the Greeks and, you know, the way they evolved 2,500 years ago. I mean, before the Greeks, people focused on not dying. You know, as if you were a human, you focused on not dying. And after the Greeks, people focused on really living. So there's a big fundamental shift in the way uh, humanity kind of approached day-to-day life. I think it'd be interesting to get into, and you've kind of pushed maybe not the limits because you haven't really been injured other than just recently, which <laughs> wasn't even, that was not like a sprained a muscle. It was a different type of a... <laughs> yeah, I haven't had an overuse injury. Yeah, but, you know. and uh, that for me is like just hard to even imagine. I mean, I can't think of a friend, including myself, who doesn't end up with like some type of strain or injury from like going to yoga or going on a five mile run through the course of a year. And you've been pushing the limits for a long time. And, you know, at times doing it really fast. (laughs) For the rest of us, what are the components of it? Like the pieces that you attribute that to? Maybe we can go uh, well, deep. Well, t- we touched a little bit uh, on this earlier before the interview is that I kind of view my life through the lens of an endurance athlete. So everything I do is to be the best beast, you know, the best animal that I can be, whether that is sleep, nutrition, training, cross training, uh, like I said, never sitting down, 
this constant movement, like, you know, life is training, training is life, as well as interpersonal relationships. I think the quality of your interpersonal relationships really influences how you perform ultimately. And so all of these things I try to maximize. And I think doing that has really helped me prevent um, from getting any sort of overuse injury versus, you know, just being a runner, only running. Uh, You know, I run with a lot of guys that are super elite runners and they don't do anything else and they're either winning races or they're injured. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them burn out as well, just that constant cycle where I've just said, I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to cross train. I'm going to put on a little more muscle bulk. It'll slow me down as a runner, as you know. You know, any anything other than a big engine and big legs is slow, but I don't care. Uh, I think I'll be healthier overall. And so, you know, those, that's just the way I conduct my life. The interpersonal relationship piece is interesting. It's not something you hear talked about much. Is that, do you view that a little bit as like when you have strong relationships, you just have less tension in your body? Is that the... I think, well, it depends on your personality. I mean, some people yeah. have more of a fighting spirit and they kind of, I, I honestly believe some people are a little more combative and they need that mm-hmm. where I'm a little more uh, harmonious. Like my, I like my relationships to be settled and pleasant. So if there's some conflict that disrupts me and it's weighs heavy on your mind. I mean, I think it impacts you. There's no way it can impact you. It's almost like saying, you know, I hate that word stress, that cliche word, but it's almost like stress. I mean, you're Cortisone levels are rise, you sleep not as soundly, uh, everything. And the other thing is, to me, being, you know, the the master of your own schedule is really important. You know, people say, well, I have a bunch of agents, like a literary agent and, you know, an athlete agent and this and that. And they're always like, why don't you get, you know, like an assistant or two assistants and, you know, hire this guy to do this. And, you know, the more people you have reporting to you, uh, the more issues you have. I mean, you know, the biggest problems I remember from business were always people problems. You know, there were innovation problems and things like that, but those were solvable. Uh, the people problems to me were always very complex. So I know that I, I'm not a great manager. I'm too, you know, I'm too giving and too liberal. So not having employees to me is a good thing. I, I don't want to scale. I'd rather you know, not make that extra dollar, you know, not sign that extra contract, but have a life that I love living and not feel pushed and stretched. Where have the points of tension in that been for you over the years? Like, where have you been pushed on that? You know, the more you get in bed with your sponsors, you know, the the more sort of activation sort of activities you have to do. So the more I'm put in front of audiences, the more stress it is for me. And I need time in between to decompress. I love running with people. I mean, don't get me wrong. Right. Like even at the, you know, the trade show I was just at, you know, we did a group run. There was like, you know, 150 people and they're all great. They bring books out and I, you know, I love interacting with them. I just couldn't, I can't do it back to back. Like I just can't do it day after day. I need that kind of time to decompress. And, you know, the bigger the sponsorship agreement, the more activation and activities you're kind of, you know, required to do. Let's kind of go into each segment that we just talked about of kind of mapping to longevity or just health as an athlete in general, starting with training and trying to make it applicable to anyone, just that mix of cross training and running. It could be cross training and cycling if you're a cyclist, but what does that look like for you, the cross training and how does it factor in depending on what you have coming up? So to me, I have a routine, this cross training routine that's all body weight. And it's, you know, it's HIIT training, it's high-intensity interval training. It's um, a series of different push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, chair dips, and burpees. 
and it pretty much works almost every muscle in my body. So I can do that anywhere, whether I'm traveling in a hotel, anywhere there's a ledge. Like the first thing I do when I walk into a hotel room is see where there's a, a ledge with a handhold so I can do my pull-ups. And I'm constantly cycling through that. It's about a 12 to 15 minute routine throughout the course of the day. Just anytime I have 12 to 15 minutes and I make those 12 to 15 minutes, I purposely end calls at like 10.45 and so start the have, next one at 11. Right. Yeah. And that kind of, I, I don't know, almost having that um, time constraint to me really compels me to do it. So I leave 15 minute windows in my schedule all the time for that very reason. And on the stretching or rolling and other parts that you incorporate into training, like what else are you or maybe we could also get into running and how you think yeah. of like, you know, are you doing speed work or are you more <laughs> just log the miles at yeah. your pace? And I mean, the answer to the first question, you might not want to hear this, but I don't spend any time stretching. I don't spend any time with any sort of foam roller. I don't get massages. I don't do any of that. <laughs> I use that time instead to focus on... I don't on, want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I use that literally to focus on training instead you know, what does my training look like? You know, if I've got a block of training where I'm really preparing for a big race, it's pretty hardcore yeah. and it's pretty regimented, pretty disciplined. If not, it's... And are you developing that yourself or do you work with a coach or... I've worked of, with several coaches throughout yeah. the years. I always say to, you know, to runners and athletes, uh, listen to everyone, follow no one. So I've got a lot of advice and I've kind of pieced it together for what works best for me. And I found that following a rigid program is kind of a recipe for overtraining for me because I'll, I'll load up too much and I'll fight with my coach. I'll say, you know, this needs to be an easy day. I'm like, no, two back-to-back -back hard days are good for me. And I'll maybe show up a little bit overtrained at a race. So I've learned to kind of back things off and to be a better listener. But um, yeah, I do hard, easy days. I, you know, people say, do you run in the morning or in the you know, evening? I'm like, I run at different times every day. And I think that as a runner, it's really helpful and, you know, if you just run every morning, you're going to be a good every morning runner. <laughs> you yeah. know, if you run five miles every morning, you're going to be really good at running five miles every morning. But, you know, in endurance sports, especially when I'm running for, you know, 24 hours or more, you're running in the middle of the day, you're running in the evening, you know, you're running after work. So to mix it up, I don't just do one thing. And I rarely run the same route twice, back to back. And what about, so... This is applicable whether you're a marathon or looking to run your first 50 mile or you run a 5K and you're looking to get to 10K, like kind of taking it to the next level, regardless of how far it is. What are the tips like that you've seen through your own training or through your peers? Like how do you build up so you can get yourself to whatever sort of peak you're trying to get to? Well, you, Without you start yourself. off by uh, <laughs> you know biting off more than you can chew. So <laughs> yeah. um, go to a race that's beyond any distance you've ever run before or cycled before, and you know find the race you want to do and hit enter. Once you hit that button on the computer, you're in. So start with that sort of commitment to go. You know to never stop exploring, if you will, to trade. You know go up to a bigger event than you've ever done, and then change the way you train you know, just intelligently approach it. You know, if you've never run, rode a century before and you want to ride a century, I mean, you know, you're probably going to want to have a training block going into it that you follow pretty regimentally just to get yourself prepared for that. And for the average super busy person who has a hard time blocking time, you know, you're, you've signed up for your 
first half marathon and you're really training hard, but how much, like when you think now let's look at like sleep and the cross training and the other components, like, you well, know, I mean, how do you, how yeah. you put the pieces together in a way that makes sense? So you get yeah. to the starting line. Right. Well, go. I mean, that comes, that speaks to the point of sacrifice. So, yeah. you know, my, my grandmother used to tell me, you know, you can have anything you want in life. You just can't have everything. So if you want to run a half marathon or a marathon, you got to have that time to train for that. And that means if you're busy, like most people are, you've got to put aside something. So, you know, do you like watching television? <laughs> Guess right. what? You can watch an hour or less. You know, do you like going to the movies? You like going to dinner. Guess what? You can cut back to fewer dinners and more training. So you got to sacrifice something. There's there's no way you can fit it all in with maintaining the quality of sleep we just talked about. So one thing about sacrifices and what you're willing to do, a lot of runners and endurance athletes are willing to make those sacrifices. They kind of welcome it. Yeah. And now like going back to the nutrition side, and we started with the interesting story of your breakfast and the intermittent fasting so it's it's from eight o'clock at night is that what you said yeah usually until lunch the next day lunch the next day or or until eight o'clock the next night until dinner well seven o'clock the next night so i start making dinner yeah and you know that's a common thing i hear from people that are busy and traveling especially that you know i was doing so well on my diet and then you know i had to go overseas or this or then i started traveling and you know you threw it all out yeah the the airplane food and this and that i'm like you know i found it's better to eat nothing than to eat the wrong thing. Hmm. You, it requires a hell of a lot of discipline. But to me, if there's not food that is healthy and good, I just fast. And I find much better results with that. Talk about learning that and really like what does your diet look like now and a little bit about how you got there and what you learned. Because you're all, it's like a it's like a interesting case. We can all yeah. read so many case studies, but also you've put yourself through the ringer of like kind of knowing yeah. what and, lubricates and, the joints. Yeah. And I mean and some some people who know my story listening are gonna be laughing because like I'm They're, kinda known as the guy who ordered a pizza while he was yes, running. So. Yeah, the, I remember that. Yeah, no, I, I used to eat I admit all kinds of junk food. I mean I thought, you know, you're burning 20, 25,000 calories a day sometimes in these things you're doing, um, get in the calories however you can. Yeah. And I've gone full circle over the years and have cleaned up my diet tremendously. So now I don't eat anything that's processed, anything that's refined, anything in a bag. I don't eat any grain. I mean, if you look at wheat, like you can't just pick a piece of wheat from the field and put it in your mouth. It's got to be processed by a machine. Same goes with oats, you know, barley. So no grains. Um, now, if you, you know, if I can't pick it from a tree, dig it up from the earth, you know, or catch it with my hands, like lean meat or catch it with a hook, seafood, I don't eat it. So what's your view on the role of even good carbs. So you're getting that mostly through fruits and... Entirely through fruits, yeah. yeah. And probably f- far fewer carbohydrates than most people think they need in a given day. Um, the reason being is, you know, when you look at a piece of bread, the amount of carbs, you know, you'd have to eat the equivalent of, you know, three or four apples kind of thing to get <laughs> as many carb- you know, carbs in your body. Or even if you look at something like breakfast cereal with sugar in there. So I'm eating more fruit for carbs and that's about it. Yeah, more protein and good fat are my primary sources of calories. What's your view on I mean every day there's a new like fad diet or fad supplement or pill or the magic potion. Is that I mean, it sounds like from the no 
preservatives or additives or, you know, nothing you can, you can't catch yourself. Um, that's probably not in play, but do you have anything in your supplement list that <laughs> I, you know, again, you I get back to listen to yeah. everyone, follow no one. So, yeah. you know, I used to take supplements and I used to take ibuprofen for pain and, you know, inflammation and I stopped taking those things altogether. I mean, I had my diet analyzed so many times and I get all the vitamins and minerals I need through my food sources, usually, you know, three or 400 times uh, the recommended daily allowances just through food alone. Mm. So, you know, a lot of the vitamins, I think a lot of people don't realize this, you know, you just urinate them out, the, the water-soluble vitamins. So you're just putting extra load on your kidneys to get rid of this stuff when you're eating, you know, when you're supplementing with mega doses of vitamins. And the fat-soluble vitamins, you know, those accumulate in your adipocytes. So you can actually overdose on certain vitamins. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so no vitamins, no, just through the diet. Completely stop taking any anti-inflammatories. No anti-inflammatories at all. Yeah. And Do you I, use and I like turmeric so or any of the other, th- like just tons of, in, yeah, tons. into your diet, right? I bite in bulk, organic turmeric, organic ginger, cayenne pepper, fenugreek, oregano, oregano yeah. from Greece, rosemary from Greece, sage. Lo- I mean, just heaps in my diet. Yeah. And you've still got like yogurt and dairy. I eat um, just yogurt just and yogurt. just yeah. um, plain Greek yogurt. So full fat, uh, no sugar added. And what about, um, so you start your day with some coffee. What about alcohol? How does that factor in and with <laughs> races and everything else? Yeah. I, you know, I enjoy a glass of wine or two. Yeah. Um, a couple nights a week, I would say. Maybe, yeah. you know, three or four nights a week, maybe three. Yeah. I'll have a, a glass of wine or two. Yeah. Yep. There's a relaxation point <laughs> that too. Yeah. It's worth it. So what, I mean, you get asked these questions all the time and you definitely said like you kind of make your own, listen to, what is it? Listen listen to everyone, follow no one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's like, these, these things are all very personal to everyone, but you're asked these questions all the time. What do your, what goes through your head where you're like, they're kind of missing the point (laughs) when you look at kind of like what's in an athlete's kind of toolbox and the pieces that really matter. Maybe we've gone through it all right now, but yeah, no, there... I, I, you know, I think um, most athletes are pretty dialed, yeah, uh, and you know, at least when you get to a certain level, I think most athletes, especially when you're, you know, you can run a hundred miles, you don't just wake up one day and say, hey, "I'm going to go run a hundred miles." I mean, it takes a, a lot of um, racing beforehand, so you kind of learn what works for you. I experiment with everything. So you said, "What about the newest craze? This and that right. with diet?" I mean, if if it's within the realm of the foods I'll eat, I'll experiment with anything. Uh, I don't take a lot of supplements. I mean, I admire guys like Tim Ferriss and life hacking and all that, but I'm, you know, I'm like, do you really need to hack yourself with some substance to make yourself better? I mean, if I can do it without any of that stuff, just with by on my own, I'd prefer to do it that way. And let's talk a little bit about the just the progression of the endurance sports world, and we can focus on running, but in general what you're seeing and kind of what gives you excitement, um, trends that have taken off where things are going. Yeah. So as far as we touched on, uh, the, you know, the kind of conversion from road running to trail running. So people are getting off, uh, the roads and, you know, we say trail running on the West coast because, you know, we think about single track trails. Usually I refer to it as just, um, you know, natural surfaces, 
because a lot of places it's just great a graded fire road or like a rails to trail conversion so it's not really a, a wilderness trail just so much as not a, a paved road uh, that's a big trend ultra running is a huge trend it's a you know starting from a smaller base but the percentage growth year over year of ultra running is continuing to boom um, the other big trend is more women getting into the sport which i think is a great thing so uh, last year in the U.S., more women than men ran half marathons, like 60-40, substantially more women than men finished half marathons. I think that that's a really positive thing, and I think there's a lot of fresh new energy. I mean, running has changed a lot in the past 20 years, the past 30 years, where it's gone primarily from a, a small male-dominated field of very fast runners to a very um, mixed bag of runners regarding, you know, the overall finish times have actually decreased, but participation rates have gone, uh, have increased. What do you attribute that to? I mean, there's this interesting thing too about, I mean, I feel like you've kind of talked about this, like people, like just being outside running to be part of nature, to let your mind go. I think people are seeing those benefits and, What's, you know, and also I feel like, I don't know if you've seen this, but things are much more about the experience and less about the competition. Yeah. In general, it feels like we're on that track. What does that open up for the future? You know, they see these interesting training camps and things that are for athletes of all levels or more of like event experiences rather than just showing up at the race. You think that there's something happening there that's interesting absolutely to, yeah yeah i mean people are more and more looking for experiences versus just another race and people don't want to do the same race twice uh, it's kind of one and done they want to experience it once and and move somewhere else i think that's a really healthy trend i think it's opening up a lot of new quote-unquote markets in running for like running tours people you know when they go to like i was just in um peru at a place called cusco which is kind of by machu picchu and I, you know, I went on a running tour with the guy. He was a great tour guide. It was just one-on-one, and uh, he does also groups. And I got to see all the sites. But instead of being in a bus or you know a cab or an Uber, we're running. So we spent eight hours running. He took me to a great place for lunch. You know, we had a latte along the way. You know, we went through this farmer's market that was insane. I mean, all this stuff from the Amazon. We ran right through the middle of it. You know, we got a smoothie on the way. It was yeah. A great way to tour. And I think about um, there's running tours in San Francisco and all the, the big cities, Paris, Rome, Athens, that sort of thing wasn't happening before. Now people are making a living doing this, just doing running tours. Um, other things like the Wine Country Half Marathon Series. So it's uh, half marathons in the wine country and they have wine at the aid stations. Right. <laughs> I mean, things like experience like that. You do it once, you're like, oh, this is great. You know, yeah. I, wanna, I did Napa, now I want to do Sonoma. You know, now I want to go to Hillsburg. So those sort of things are, are on the increase. You know, I, I really kind of geek out on some of the statistics in running. And, you know, while we're talking about people that have signed up for some sort of running event, which is about 25 million, there are 75 million Americans that identify themselves as runners. Hmm. So it's a huge, huge portion of the American population that run. And the one interesting thing I saw in, in just reading the most recent Running USA uh, Today report is, most people report they get into running to lose weight. So that's the number one incentive. But then if they've been running for three years or more, they say they run because they enjoy it. So a lot of people get into running just to lose weight. And once they start running, they find 
this is, I like it. I like, I, I just enjoy this kind of time by myself and I feel better when I'm finished. So, you know, my kind of focus right now is how do we, how do we get more people just to try it? And if they want to lose weight, instead of going to a diet program, try running. And what, what have you seen work over the years of what motivates people to, to get started in something like running? A lot of times it's one exposure. Yeah. If you can just get them to try it once, and a lot of people are embarrassed, like I could never right, do that. Right, you have that. to run and walk for yeah. a mile to get, yeah, and even that seems hard. But Yeah, and so having you know the, your peer group, there's a group called Another Mother Runner, and it's women that are mothers that kind of got out of shape and they said, let's encourage other, you know, our peers to do what we did. And that's kind of these approachable programs. Like there's a program called Couch to 5K Hmm. where, you know, it's not intimidating. They tell you, you know, here's the shoes you should look at. You know, here's the apparel you should wear to make you comfortable. And you kind of feel like an athlete at that point. So there's a lot of movements like that that are going on. I think are really healthy for this country. I mean, you, you're obviously at the top of the sport, you could be like this elitist, judgmental <laughs> like, <laughs> person, right? Uh, that does exist in sports, right? And instead, you're, it seems like talking to you is interested in getting that person out for their first run as you are and getting that person to sign up for their first ultra. I just think that's really, we need more of that. Well, well, Not I just mean, in running, it, but. Yeah, no, it, it always amazes me. Like my sponsors bring me out to, you know, like to expos. And they say, okay, well, you know, you can work the XO, you know, Expo, make an appearance and you can go home. I'm like, hold it, the marathon's the next day. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to go all the way to Chicago, you know, or wherever. You know, I was just in uh, Las Vegas for the Rock and Roll Marathon. I'm like, I'm not just going to do, you know, this Expo appearance and get out of town. But a lot of athletes do. They just go do their signing for an hour and they split. I'm like, hey, I'm a runner. Like, this I'm going to go run. I'm going to go <laughs> run. And I think people really love that. Like, people are so surprised when they see me at the starting line of like a marathon. Like, my God, you're going to run with us? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm one of you. I mean, I'm right. just a runner just like you. Let's, you know, let's go experience some pain together and, and struggle and get to that finish line. So another part of the kit that I feel like has evolved even just in the last couple of years a lot is technology and the ability to track your workouts, obviously, but also the ability to like really read into what's going on with your body and if you know how to read into it, understand, incorporate that into your training. How talk about the where you see that fitting in, whether you're just getting started or you're an elite athlete and cycling. It's the power meter, and yeah. I'm not even I'm not up on it at all. But um, well, I mean, just in broad terms, I mean, I think that the technology for tracking, whether it be through your your phone or through something on your wrist has fundamentally changed the way we look at our training. I mean, it's to be able to analyze that. I mean, 10 years ago, we couldn't do that. Well, 20 years ago, we really couldn't do this sort of thing. So I think we approach our training more scientifically. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll get back to is that being able to quantify things is actually very empowering and it is very motivational for people. So, you know, can you beat your own you know, last best time, uh, whether it's a Strava segment or whatever that might be, can you exceed, you know, your the 50-mile run you did? Can you go 60? And you can now track that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I, I mean, I'm sponsored by Fitbit, so I'm a bit impartial, but the one thing I love about Fitbit and the one reason I want to get involved with them is that as much as I love Garmin, their products are incredible, or Sunto, 
uh, those are very high-end products. I mean, those are built for kind of elite athletes, and that's a very small percentage of the population. Uh, Fitbit makes step counters. I mean, basically just counts how many steps you take a day. And that has changed. Just that ability to track your steps has transformed so many millions of people's lives. It's hard to even get your head around it. I and mean, kids. They handed kids. them out at my kid's school. Yeah. And the kids, when they were five years old, were out running around at the playground. The reason they went to the playground to run around was because they had the the step counter on, but they've instantly forgot. They just, it was like a reason to get outside. Yeah. And then it worked. It doesn't matter if you're five or you're 70. Yeah. And I mean, I've, my mother-in-law lives in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. And she, I got her a Fitbit and she started walking and every day she has to hit her 10,000 steps because I don't know if you have a Fitbit, but you get a little flash of like fireworks going off. Like yeah. you took 10,000 yeah. steps. And now her and all of her buddies are have Fitbits and they compete with each other. Like I took 12,000 steps today, you know? <laughs> And oh, you've been saying like six thousand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good. It's a really good thing. What about the more you know the the? I feel like every decade there's like a new part of training data that kind of takes off, and like I've you know I'm starting to see a lot more about like just heart rate variability yeah. and things like that. Are H, there HRV? Yeah. yeah. So are there? I don't know. Are there pieces like that where you're like, wow, this is really exciting? Going to be able to learn a lot, or areas that you're watching. You know, it's funny. I think the gains from technology have been not maybe as big as we really thought they would be. I, I'm not sure we're running that much faster, you know, as far as if you really look at um, historically, you know, how we've improved as a species. But I think that knowing these things can be, again, empowering and, and motivating. I mean, I think, you know, looking at your sleep, looking at, I really honestly believe very few people, I think overtraining is overstressed. I think very, very few people are really classically overtrained, hmm. unless you're a very elite athlete that's doing back-to-back racing. I think overtraining and trying to measure that and quantify it has almost been a bad thing because people say, oh, you're going to overtrain. It's almost like a cliche now. You're overtraining, you're overtraining. I, I just don't think that's the case. And I don't think the data, if you really look at your data, I think it's hard to support with the data over training. I mean, there might be, you just might have a bad day one, one day and you look at your, the variability of your heart rate and it's kind of all over the place. It's not from training. It's just you had, you're stressed out or maybe you're getting a little cold or something like that. What about, you know, an overtraining? I think about that a lot just because we've got these mountains in yeah. our backyard. <laughs> so even if I'm running short, I'm always going straight up. Yeah. So my legs feel tired when I'm on a bike or a run when I went the day before up the mountain and I'm going back up the mountain. Does that factor in? Or, well, like how mean, much do you think about just changing variety so one day you're running hills? Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, back-to-back days with heavy legs, I think is a good thing. You know, you, you said my legs feel tired. I think that's different than overtraining. And I think right, you're not even injured. overtraining yeah. for a day or two is a good thing. I mean, how does your body adapt? unless you're pushing it beyond where it's supposed to be, beyond homeostasis. So I still think the hard, easy kind of prescription mm. is, is helpful. So go really hard one day. Um, there's this thing called the black hole that we kind of touched on before, and that's just you know doing the same routine at the same intensity every day. You kind of get into this black hole, like you don't improve. And it's better to go really hard, short one day, and then maybe long and slow the next. And a lot of athletes don't have the discipline to do that. Like every time they go running, and I was like that before, every time right. I, I went running, I wanted to push myself as hard as I could. And to really not do that, to hold back and actually give a couple of days of, of light running and then really killing yourself, I think is a good thing. 
What about recovery? I mean, you've touched on how you incorporate different training days, but yeah. um, what do you do after a really hard workout? You know, I mostly focus on recovery after racing. Like yeah. I can rarely train hard enough where I to feel like I to. really need to recover. But I mean, after you lay it out on a hundred mile foot race, for instance, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel it. There's no way to wake up the next day and say, yeah, I feel kind of good. Um, the recovery for me is remarkably quick. I don't know why, but a lot of times I'll run a hundred miles. I'll always go running the next day and that's kind of counterintuitive. And I tell people, you know, if you run a marathon really hard, the worst thing you could do is not do anything for the next few days. Like the next morning, get up and force yourself to run. I mean, you're, you're going to be hobbling. You're going to be, you know, just shuffling. But shuffle for a mile or two. Just move your legs. So I get up the next day, even after 100 miles, and I'll run a few miles. And I notice it only takes maybe three or four days until I'm feeling like I, I could probably do another 100. Well, you did the 50, 50 marathons, marathons in 50 days. That was back-to-back. Back in all 50 states. In all 50 states. Which was the great part because it combined like my love of travel and exploration with running. So I got to see all of the United States in 50 days. And, and you know, when you're running. recovery there because you're no, also getting from one state to the next. You're and, getting on a bus and you're just oh sitting there gosh, for eight hours after a marathon. Up. Yeah, it, it was not what was ideal. The, yeah, we haven't even gotten <laughs> to the mental side. I mean, I would have, yeah, I mean, most people you'd sign up for that and you'd get a couple in and I'm sure your brain would explode because it's probably almost more mentally challenging than physical for you. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, just, it's got to be excruciating. Yeah. And I was, I was, we started by kind of counting down cause I had a crew with me. We we're kind of like checking off yeah. how many, and it got so demoralizing. I remember being at uh, marathon 19, it was in Arizona and it was like 105 degrees and I didn't think I'd even make it to the finish of that. I remember coming into the bus afterward, and they're like, ah, oh, you finished 19, that's great. And I looked, I've got 31 more to go. I'm like, okay, you did put it. this away. Let's, let's put this chalkboard away. And yeah, no, I remember getting up some mornings and thinking, I can't, I can't get out of bed. Like, I can't even get out of bed. How am I going to run a marathon today? Like, I literally, you know, my foot hit the ground. It was just like that shocking pain. Like, how am I going to do this? But I just, I took it one step at a time, just one day at a time. Like I said, don't keep counting down. Don't think about the future. You know, don't reflect on the past. Just be in the here and now, like be in the present. Like, okay, get that foot out of bed. Okay, get that next foot. Okay, stand up, you know, walk to the sink, splash some water in your face, you know, make some in-room coffee, put one leg through your, your shorts, put the other leg through your shorts, you know, tie your left shoe, tie your right shoe literally got that granular for 30 days. It was almost like a Zen-like state where I just, that was it. It was just here and now, that's all that mattered. And who did you have with you as support on that? I had a, a guy I work with, Jason Coop, who's a yeah. coach of mine, and he was terrific. So he was with me the whole time. Uh, and then I had like a logistics crew. So there's, I mean, there's a whole business study I could have done on that event because how it came together, like how do you fund something like that? First uh, of yeah, all? I was going through a hundred questions in my head yeah. just on that alone, like yeah. the pieces that would need to come into place. Yeah, so the North Face has a, an expedition proposal process where athletes submit proposals to them for expeditions and mm -hmm. North Face will fund them. So typically it's like, you know, climbing the North Face of Noopsie or, you know, doing an Everest back-to-back -back or something like that. And I said, you know, running doesn't, ha you know, running and exploration and expeditions don't have to be 
just on the side of a mountain. Like we could take this to urban settings, to other places. So I pitched this 50 marathons, 50 states, 50 days as a, a North Face expedition. And they kind of bought on it. The, the marketing manager back then was new. And he's like, that's an interesting idea. And he wasn't a runner either, but he saw a vision there. Uh, but he said, you know what? The price tag to do this right, he was a big thinker. He said, yeah. it's probably going to be a couple million bucks. Like, and we can't afford that. So we're going to have to sell sponsorship. I'm like, what do you mean sell sponsorships? Let's package this thing and we'll go out to some sponsors and see if we can get some sponsorship money. So literally the first five sponsors we went to all said yes. Wow. So Toyota, Timex, wow. Nature's Path. I mean, they just said, yeah, sure. We didn't even negotiate. Oh, sure. You know, whatever. Let's go. Yeah. You know, 500,000. Yep. Let's do it. Let's do it. So now I had sponsorship obligations like these companies, you know, we got this logoed bus, you know, this overwrap bus, you know, we have uh, sponsorship tents at the start of each of the marathons. So that's the big, you don't just have to tie your shoes. You got to walk out of that bus with a smile on your face. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> we had permits for up to 50 people that joined me at every marathon. So, you know, we had people flying all over the country, like people flying in internationally. Like I flew from Japan to come run one of these marathons with me. Uh, so it became more than just this kind of you know lonely runner out there you know in a, in a car uh, with his wife every night running a marathon. I mean it was a big kind of was circus. your wife with you on the yeah? I took my my family's about your age, so my yeah. uh, my daughter was um, eleven and my son was nine. Oh yeah, and I wanted to take. I'm like, what a great opportunity! So my mom is a retired uh, public school teacher, and she came along. My mom, and my dad, and they uh, homeschooled. The kids are road schooled, we like to say. It. So the the schools would send the the teachers would send the lesson plans to my mom. They'd email them to her on Sunday, and she kind of give the school program during the course of the day. And then we'd do a lot of sightseeing. Yeah, what a great opportunity for kids! I mean, to see all fifty states, meet other kids in fifty states. You know, sample the food. It was just it was a great trip. How has your running career influenced your kids? Would you say now they're you know they're older and. Are they athletes? They're athletic, yeah. And my my daughter likes to run, but just rec- you know she enjoys just for running. Fun. Yeah. And I've never pushed running on on them. I mean, I figured if running is something for them, that's that's fine. If it's not, it's not. I don't think they really see me as a big athlete. I don't. Maybe they are, they do more now, but you know, my kids went to the same school. Your kids are going right. to. I'll never forget one day dropping off my son Nicholas, and I walked him to school, and I was kind of limping a little bit, and. The teacher got Nicholas to walk him to class. He's like, is your dad okay? And I remember Nicholas kind of going, oh, yeah, he just he ran 100 miles yesterday. <laughs> and the teacher's like looking at this kid like, wow, he's got a vivid imagination, you know. But I really had. Like, right. <laughs> That's amazing. People say, you know, who do you, who do you admire? And it's usually yeah. the people closest in my life. So, you know, my wife, who's not an athlete, I admire her. She thinks a lot differently than I do. And she's taught me so many lessons about like the grace of living. So, you know, my dad, I love my dad for better or for worse. I mean, I think we learn how to be from our fathers and how not to be. So, you know, your dad, your dad is always going to be the biggest influence, I think, on any, on any man's life. Uh, my mom as well, who was, you know, took me out from the day I was born and we just, you know, in a, in a jog stroller. I mean, she was... Uh, her family's from Greece, and that's what they do. They're outside every day. They're gardening. You know, they're walking the neighborhood. So she encouraged me to be adventurous. Um, you know, people I've worked with in my career, 
Cheryl Kruger. It was like a, a manager of mine. I mean, if, if she heard this interview, she'd be like, what? You, right. you admired me? I'm like, you are great. I mean, you just expanded my horizons in so many ways. Yeah. Thanks for listening to our show this week. If you want to find out more or give us your feedback, go to commonthreadsmedia.com or leave us a comment on Instagram or Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to Alicia Barrett, who edited the show. You've been listening to The Common Threads from Common Threads Media.